Open Books with Claire is a proud member of the Create Vine and is produced by Mecca Radio. Welcome back to Open Books with Claire. On Open Books with Claire, we explore characters and how they drive the stories we love. I'm your host, Claire. So today I'm going to give a short, spoiler-free look at the book, The Son of Neptune. But don't worry, following the spoiler-free section, I, along with my guest host, will dive into a spoiler look at today's book book as well. So The Son of Neptune is written by Rick Riordan. Riordan. So it is the second book of the Heroes of Olympus series. And when it when it came out, it actually it its first printing was three million copies, which is the largest for Disney Hyperon to this point. Uh, so this book is written in third person, and we have three different people that we switch uh, to see their points of views: Percy, Frank, and Hazel. Uh, so this book follows Percy Jackson as he has to kind of embark on a little bit of a, a new journey in the sense he uh, he has amnesia and so he, he doesn't know who he is he just knows that he you know he's, he's looking for this camp because he had spent some time with these wolves who kind of you know sent him to this camp which it turns out to be a Roman camp and you find that out kind of in the first few chapters anyway so they him and you know, these two other new characters, they have to go on a, a little adventure. All right, on to our spoilers. So join me in that conversation is my friend, Cambry. Hi, I'm Cambry. Um, I live in Provo, Utah, and I have always loved reading, um, so much so that I actually have started writing. Um, I decided I wanted to be an author around age 12, and I have a couple of social media pages that you guys should totally check out. Wattpad.com. My username is Jensocam, and I actually have some awesome Percy Jackson fanfics on there, as well as my own personal work. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you guys could uh, check that out and give me a shout out when you do. Awesome. Yeah, so Camry was with us last week as we discussed the Lost Heroes. So this week, we are on to the Son of Neptune. Uh, Camry, would you like to just kind of tell us a bit about what happens in this book? Sure. Um, well, I think this is, if not my favorite, definitely my fa- second favorite of the Heroes of Olympus series. Um, it starts out, like Claire was saying, with Percy pretty much running for his life from these Gorgon ladies. And he has no idea who he is or where he came from. All he knows is that the wolves told him he need to go, he needs to go to camp Jupiter and that he'd know it when he was close. And, um, I feel like that would be a pretty stressful place to be in. Like I can't imagine not knowing where I came from before. Um, but somehow Percy being amazing figures out how to do that and he gets to Camp Jupiter and Camp Jupiter is floored by his rather heroic and stunning entrance because he brings Juno, the goddess, to camp and Romans view gods very, very seriously. I feel like on the Greek side of things, they kind of like make jokes about the gods a lot more, but like in Roman side of things, the gods are to be revered and respected. So he like floors 
all of the Romans when Juno announces that, you know, he's supposed to be a member of the camp and that he's a son of Neptune. And so he kind of gets invited into the camp, but there's still like this, uh, like kind of weird vibe going on where none of none none of the campers really trust him except for Frank and Hazel whose lives he saved when he was getting to camp um do you have anything to add to that Claire no it's a pretty apt description of of the book of the the beginning yeah so Percy like goes on learning how Camp Jupiter works for like barely a day I feel like and then um, they're having a mock battle and all of a sudden at the end of it, the God Mars shows up and is like death, the God death, Thanos or Thanatos. I mean, not Thanos. That's the wrong movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanatos has been captured by the giants and this kid, Percy Jackson needs to go for him as well as my son, Frank. And, whoever else they want to go with them. And so Percy, Frank, and they choose Hazel are called on this quest and they go on this quest to free the god Thanatos. And they run into two, of course, it wouldn't be a Rick Riordan book without a bunch of misadventures in the middle. Um, in which process they make a couple friends and a lot of enemies. And Percy learns little by little about his past and the significance of Hera's or Juno's trade between Jason, who we talked about last time, and Percy, when where they switched camps so that they could form alliances and unite the demigod camps in preparation for this big war that's supposed to happen between the demigods and the giants. Yeah, okay, so let's talk about Percy. Okay. <laughs> We uh we all know Percy, you know. I mean, you should know Percy. If you don't know Percy, you gotta go get to know. You got Percy. problems. You got you gotta go go find out about <laughs> Percy, okay? <laughs> but so we all know Percy from his own series because we saw uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians from his perspective. So we saw him develop there, um, of course, and being freaking awesome. Yes, yeah. You know, he had, uh, I mean, I love his, like, one-liners or, like, all of his sarcastic comments in the middle of the battle. Absolutely. Like, I mean, like, he's in the middle of fighting something, and he just decides that it's a great idea to say something sarcastic. I right? Mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it works for me. I get to read all about it, so. <laughs> yeah, plus he's, like, uber-powerful. Like, he's a son of one of the big three gods, right? Like, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, and it's like any other demigod is like powerful, but like a son of or a child of one of those three is like uber powerful because their dads are the original children of um, the Titan Kronos, and that means they are more powerful too. And it's like Percy is able to do all of this amazing stuff that nobody before him at least in recent memory, has been able to do. And so he's, like, kind of the next Hercules in a way. Yeah. Um, which he probably wouldn't like that uh, comparison. But... <laughs> <laughs> <Cute>. <laughs> 
Yeah, but Percy's my favorite, and that's why I think this is my second favorite book of the series, because we find Percy, like, the whole first book, we're like, oh no, where is Percy? And that's, like, they're they're looking for him the whole first book, but now we're in book two, and we found him, but except Annabeth still doesn't really know where he is, and so that's a little stressful. But I, I think my favorite things about... Percy's perspective is the little Easter eggs that Rick Riordan put in there. Like just like Percy, for whatever reason, unlike Jason, or maybe it's just because we know him so well, but like I felt like there was a lot more references that Percy understood to his previous life. Like, like he has those dreams about Annabeth and Grover and Tyson. And he like is like, who are these people? But I know them, but who are they? You know, he has that kind of like weird, it's it's almost like Hera tried to wipe his memory, but couldn't get everything out. And so he still like recognizes a few things, like enough to tell Reyna when she's like, we should definitely be a couple. He's like, actually I'm taken. You know, he like, and that's like in the first couple of chapters. Yeah. When she says that. And so it's just like he hasn't even really started on his whole regaining memory journey yet, but he's he remembers enough to know that he's taken, and Annabeth is gonna be super pissed if if he you know chooses a different girl even on amnesia you know yeah. <laughs> That's very true. And Annabeth can be quite scary. I think she's like one of the only people that can scare Percy. <laughs> I think everybody is scared of Annabeth. <laughs> true. I think Jason, like he uh, he was very scared of Annabeth in in the whole right book. right in in Mark of Athena. They all kind of just defer to Annabeth. Like we talked about last time that scene at the table where Percy and Jason are fighting over the head seat, but then they both just kind of give it up to Annabeth. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty symbolic of the dynamic of the crew, you know, of the seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So um, we don't, I guess we don't, we don't get to see Percy develop in him uh like in his abilities and in kind of like his confidence in himself because that's still inside of him but what i guess um in my opinion we get to see is we get to see him uh develop different relationships and then also kind of redevelop um anything that Hera taking his memories took away kind of thing which i mean obviously wasn't much in the sense that there were certain things like his love for Annabeth that were so deeply rooted inside of him that no m missing memory could take that away. Um, I feel like that kind of, I think Hazel kind of talks about that in the sense that like um, he has such confidence, right? And like Hazel yeah. could see it and Frank could see it um, and even Raina could see right. it. Right, and that's why she's like, dude, we can make a really good team, you and I, you know, like definitely laying on the I'm attracted to you vibes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we know that Reyna has high standards where men are concerned. Yes. You know, like Jason and Percy are the two guys that she's expressed interest in. So, like, I mean, you can't really do better than either of them. 
That's true. Except for my husband. I like my husband's right up there, you know. <laughs> but the two the two characters that we do meet are Frank and Hazel, which I mean, Frank and Hazel, they're just adorable. Like I love Frank. I love them. He is just hilarious. I mean, he's Canadian, so maybe I'm a little biased. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Frank is just, he's amazing. And I mean, for me, it's, um, you get to watch him grow up through these books. And I mean, not from the sense that like, you know, he, he gets older, but, or more mature, but he develops his confidence in himself. And I mean, you get to see it start a little bit in the son of Neptune where he, um, he, he's able to develop confidence enough that he, he goes on this quest with them, right? And he um, he fights uh, the bad guys and he, he starts to figure out. So Frank's life is tied to a piece like of wood, like just a stick, and, which I always have trouble picturing it. I mean, sometimes it's a giant stick and sometimes it's this tiny little twig thing. But, you know, it's a- like I picture it almost like a piece of bark. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so his his life is tied to the stick and he's always been fearful of that because, you know, uh, this stick sets like catches on fire and he's done, you know, kind of thing. Um, But it's because uh, he's destined to become a great hero uh, like the ones from myths and legends like he's, he's destined to become a real legend kind of thing. Yeah. But you see him develop from being scared of this tie uh, to actually like using it, you know, in the end and empowering. That's one of my favorite tropes is when people give their characters a certain weakness or disability or insecurity. And that very thing is what enables them to defeat the antagonist. Or to solve the problem at the end, you know, like to have a role in the resolution. I think it is so great because it teaches that um, recurring lesson that we all need that even like when hard things happen, even when like life sucks, it's for a good reason. You know, like we have, we learn from those mistakes and sometimes our weaknesses make us stronger. And sometimes, um, our weaknesses are the very thing that makes us the only person capable of doing something. And I, I think that that's just, it's such a beautiful message. But while we're talking about Frank, I will, I think it's important to bring up that Frank was not happy when he found out his dad was Mars. <laughs> and I think that that plays a really important role in his character development because the whole time before Mars shows up, Frank is like hoping and he, he says he's been praying that his dad is Apollo because this kid loves archery and he just wants his dad to be Apollo because that would be super cool. They've got archery in common, but that's not the case. And instead he gets this like loser of a dad who's like obnoxious and loud and kind of has a bad reputation for being mean and he doesn't want a dad who picks fights, right? He wants a dad who solves problems. And so he was a little disappointed about that. And I think he held a lot of bitterness 
about that throughout the rest of the book. And I think by the end, he kind of comes to terms with it a little bit more. And that helps him resolve his issue with the stick because his dad helps him kind of figure that out. But it, it definitely was a big cause of emotional distress for Frank um, because that's not exactly the role model he was hoping for. And also kind of like, how could my mom fall in love with this guy? You know, and Frank's got a really soft spot for his mama. So like, I think he has a lot to deal with, with finding out who his dad is. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very true. That is definitely something uh, that he deals with through, through the entire book. And they all, I guess, um, all three of our main characters seem to carry some sort of emotional uh, baggage. I mean, with yeah. gets his, I mean, he's still trying to um, work through grief from his mom's death. Yeah, you know, that's true. She, she he hasn't died. been at camp very long. Yeah, he's one. Of, yeah, he's one of the newest uh, people there. And um, and Percy, I mean, he's dealing with um, all of the emotion that comes with having amnesia right like he he doesn't know why certain things are familiar and why some things aren't and and which would be really frustrating to deal with (laughs) at the least (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know at the very least um and then hazel hazel's awesome i mean oh my goodness she's amazing (laughs) she she's honestly like more powerful and I mean not just in like a magic kind of power but she's more powerful in every sense of the word than she could ever imagine right like she doesn't know like can we talk about how she's 13 that's true um yeah she like I think it could be 14 but I think she's 13 and here she's running along with Percy who's like 16 or something and Frank who's also like 15 or 16 I'm I'm not sure exactly but, like, here's this little 13-year-old girl who's, like, first of all, attractive enough to get Frank's attention. <laughs> and second of all, like, literally saves both of their butts on multiple occasions. That's very true. H- Hazel, Hazel's kind of boss, honestly. She is. And she gets more boss throughout the series. You're, like, she's just, she's awesome. Hazel Levesque, everybody. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, well, and her her kind of thing is she died in like what nineteen forty nine or in the forties, something like that. So uh, she, I think older. it was. Ooh, actually, it might have been like right before the war. Okay, because didn't I think I think there's that whole thing where, or maybe not. Maybe it was during the war or after the war because there's something significant about World War Two and what Gaia was making her do because the whole plan was for the giants to rise during world war two, when there was already so much chaos, I think. So I think it's around the time of world war two, but I guess the exact date doesn't matter at this point. (laughs) She had just turned 13 on November. Oh no, that's December. (laughs) I can read 1941 was the last day that she lived in new Orleans. So she died not long after that. So she's, uh, and then, I mean, she's living in the this underworld, you know, just hanging out in the fields of Aspen. Yeah. Okay. That, can we talk about that for a second? Like Hazel, first of all, was forced to do something. She was 13, mind you. Right. Like, I know we talked about how awesome she is, 
but like if you were 13 and your mom was literally possessed and she was threatening you that she was going to kill herself if you didn't do something like what would you do right like duh do what you're told by your mom because that would be a terrifying situation to be in so anyway gay is like possessing her mom and they're and she's using Hazel to create one of her giant sons out of the earth because Hazel's powers as a daughter of Pluto involve a lot of earthy stuff, including gems and diamonds and stuff like that. Anyway, at the end of this whole fiasco, Hazel chooses to kill both herself and her mother to prevent the giant that she created from rising. And so both her and her mother go to the underworld and she takes the blame because her mom was going to go to punishment. But Hazel is like, no, don't, I don't want her to do that. Give me the blame. And I think that she's 13 and she doesn't even really understand her demigodishness yet. And she's already a hero taking all of the blame because she could have gone to Elysium and just been happy and peaceful for the rest of her existence. But instead she was like, no, give me the blame. And so the judges put both her and her mother in the fields of Asphodel, which is just this endless eternity where nothing ever happens. And because she's a daughter of Pluto, she remembers everything. I think usually People forget their previous lives and they're just kind of mindless zombies. But Hazel remembered everything. And I just, this that whole thing I think is so integral to her character now because it shows, first of all, what type of a person she is um, to just be so selfless about it. Like the whole thing, the whole fiasco was done because of her mom to protect her mom. Mm-hmm. Even though her mom wasn't exactly the best mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's important to talk about. Yeah, no, about. that's very true. Yeah, her mom, um, she definitely had a few struggles. And, I mean, Kea was um, influencing her long before she actually fully possessed her. But, yeah, so, I mean, Hazel goes all through, uh, through all of this, dies, is stuck in uh, the fields, and then she's found by, I say Nico. I don't know. Nico. You say Nico? Is Nico. Like, it, I, I feel like that's got the Italian Yeah, it's got the accent. Italian, yeah. Um, I, just, I just say Nico, Nico because it's just, it's spelled like Nick with an O. Because I, I don't put the Italian accent with it. I think it's, I think it's N-I-C-O. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, Nick without the K. Okay, <laughs> I was like, Nick has spelled the K usually. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so he finds her, and well, they're not blood relatives. He still he feels a sense that like they they're siblings, so he brings her back to life. Well, because and now- she tells him that she's a daughter of Pluto, and if you haven't figured this out yet, the We've been using, like, different names for the same gods because, like, the Greek gods have one version and then the Roman gods have a different version, but they're, like, the same gods. Like, Apollo is the same on both sides for some reason. The Romans decided not to change his name. But, like, 
um, Hades, Greek, is in the Roman, to the Romans is Pluto. So Hazel and Nico kind of are siblings across the Greek and Roman divide. <laughs> um, they're not, like, they're, they're siblings on the godly side, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, he he helps her, which I mean that's got to be a little little traumatic. And you see that as Hazel interacts with the world a little bit more, where she's confused by certain things. Yeah, I love that she doesn't know what a chicken nugget is. It's it's hilarious, but also sad at the same time. Yeah, because you know yeah. she she lived in the forties and thirties. Now she's ripped into the twentieth century slash twenty first century. I'm not ever exactly sure exactly when it's happening but to modern times and has to figure out what like tablets are and cell phones and <laughs> like all of this new technology that we have yeah. and slang yeah so it's kind of funny to read her things or or even read people's reaction to her reaction because it's kind of it's just kind of funny right but you get to see her develop a little bit and uh she also gains confidence i guess this book is all about gaining confidence you know you gotta find that confidence yeah i think it's also just about finding like like confidence but also a sense of self like like percy with his amnesia he doesn't even know who he is frank all of a sudden has to deal with i'm a son of mars and what that means. Plus, he has hidden abilities that his grandma and his mom told him about, but he has no idea what they are. Um, and then Hazel, like, has to figure out how to separate the girl who helped Gaia to from the girl who's trying to be a hero and a good person, while also separating the girl from the, like, her past, from the 30s and 40s, from the girl living now and trying to figure out how all of those pieces of her existence fit together. And so I think confidence is a big part of it, but I think it is just also finding themselves along the, the way, which is great because at the end, when they freed Than Thanatos and come rushing back to Camp Jupiter because there's a big army attacking. Like, it is literally one of my favorite parts of the book because all three of them have, like, solidified their sense of self. Like, Percy's got his memory back. Hazel doesn't have any more of those blackouts that remind her of her past. And Frank um, has figured out how to use his abilities and has, like, rationalized, or I guess become okay with, knowing that Mars is his father. And so Camp Jupiter is just literally dying against this army. And then these three demigods show up with Percy's half-brother Tyson and a hellhound. And they completely turn around the course of the battle. And it's totally epic. And I think it's a great way of showing that once you find that sense of self, you can do amazing things. Once you've like figured out what that is and what your motivations are and what's really important to you and who you are, then you can move forward and work together with other people. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, and yeah, they definitely go on quite the journey um, mentally with that. I mean, they travel quite the distance physically, but I think mentally they go even further. 
Uh, what was something that surprised you about this book? I think, I don't know if it was, I would call it surprise necessarily, but when they like find the Amazons, like they're looking for the Amazons, right? And then like Hazel's like, look, Amazon. And then per, or I think Frank is like, oh, that's the um, like Amazon.com, the shipping company. That's not the Amazons, female warriors that we're looking for. And then Percy's like, well, maybe. And then they go in and then like, it's literally like this underground empire and all of these female warriors are like plotting to take over and rule the world. And I thought it was, first of all, hilarious, probably because it was a little bit surprising in the fact that, first of all, Amazon is actually run by the Amazons. And second, they're trying to take over the world and rule and like change the the way that the social hierarchy works with women being on top and men being on bottom. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, it was especially because they get captured in this process of discovering this underground hideout. And so it's just like a lot of intense stuff happening all at the same time. Um, but it's also one of my favorite scenes because Hazel's a boss and then also Hazel and Frank have a little moment where they're like impressed with Percy's fighting style, which is totally dope because Greeks are awesome. And then there's also a little bit of a flashback kind of moment where the queen of the Amazons knows Percy. And so it's a little hint at who he was before. And I think that all of that kind of comes together to make a really awesome scene. So, yeah. What, what was your favorite part? of the book honestly okay favorite line kind of part thing so they're fighting whatever like his akitonis aki something or other the giant you know alcyonius yeah we're gonna go with that anyways they're fighting him in alaska and because of the way that he was um brought back to the mortal world he's not able to be killed in his territory, right? So he chose Alaska uh, because it's furthest away from the gods. Like the gods don't have any power there kind of thing. But so then they're fighting him and then, you know, Frank is able to drag him or whatever. Like they knock him out and then they're dragging him away or whatever. And then the, he he's waking up and he's like, what are you? He's like, oh, you can't defeat me. I'm in my own territory. And he, and Frank's like, um next time you know you come back try to pick a bigger territory like why pick the smallest territory and then like totally like yeah he, he, he sasses him hardcore oh my gosh I, well, let, let's just like read that really quick because it's it's literally one of the best moments in the whole book let me see if i can find it fast enough let's see frank i love that he sections the book off into like points of view so like there's like three chapters of Frank in a row. So I know <laughs> where I'm going. Okay, so this is on page 464. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. I No, this is right. Okay, 465. So this is Frank's point of view. And he's like, he visualized the map he had been studying on the train from Anchorage. He knew roughly where they were going, but there were no signs or markers on top of the glacier. He'd just have to take his best guess. Finally, Orion zoomed between two mountains into a valley of ice and rocks like a massive bowl of frozen milk with bits of cocoa puffs. 
which is really funny to picture. <laughs> um, the giant's golden skin paled as if it were turning to brass. Frank felt a subtle vibration in his own body like a tuning fork pressed against his sternum. He knew he'd crossed into friendly territory, home territory. So then the giant gets up and he's like, where are we? What the heck? <laughs> he's like, you dare take me for a sleigh ride? That smell, like snuffed out souls. Thanatos is free, eh? Bah! Blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, now why have you brought me here, son of Mars? To kill you, Frank said. Next question? <laughs> <laughs> and then later he says that like they're hitting him and trying to fight him and he says stop that this is alaska i'm immortal in my homeland actually frank says i have some bad news about that see i got more from my dad than strength what are you talking about war brat tactics frank says that's my gift from mars a battle can be won before it's ever fought by choosing the right ground we crossed the border a few hundred yards back. You're not in Alaska anymore. Can't you feel it, Al? You want to get to Alaska? You have to go through me. And then the line that I think you're quoting, Claire, is on the next page on 468, when um, Frank says, here's a tip, Alcyonius. Next time you choose the biggest state for your home, don't set up base in the part that's only 10 miles wide. Welcome to Canada, idiot. And I think that that is fantastic. <laughs> Lots of snark. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, well, and that's partially what I like about all of their battles is um, there's a lot of sarcasm. Every single one of them, like every single character has sarcasm come out in their battle. Yeah. Well, and I think like, like Percy talks about this a lot. The other characters, not so much, but Percy does because of his history with Luke Castellan in the in the original series, where Luke's whole motivation for fighting against the Olympians was like, what have they done for me, basically? Like, they keep using me for their stupid quests, but, like, all I want is my dad, and they're just, like, they're using me as a pawn. And I think Percy kind of mentioned that a, a few times like this again and so I think when your life is a big joke like that like you just can't control what's happening in it anymore the sarcasm becomes a little bit of a lifeline you know <laughs> like to stop yourself from falling over the edge of insanity mocking your enemies as you stab them and turn them into dust is probably pretty satisfying. <laughs> so I think in this book, uh, my favorite character is Frank. I'm going to go with Frank because he is just amazing um, on all levels kind of thing. Uh, do you have a favorite character? Percy, always. Always Percy. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a really good character. And, yeah. and you do see him a lot totally understandable why you why he would be a favorite character i mean like he's in my top seven yeah and like <laughs> like we talked yeah like we like we talked about last time like because you had the whole you read the second series first but i read the percy jackson and the olympians first and i just like fell in love with percy's character and so i had a hard time 
with the new characters that were being introduced when Percy was the one that I wanted to be hearing from. So yeah, having Percy be narrating finally after an entire book, I was just over the moon. It was like, yes. So yeah, hands down, Percy is my favorite character. He's back. I love him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So would you say you like you definitely rate this book higher than the first one? Yeah, this one's more along because I think I said like six and a half. This one's closer to an eight. Okay, I, I'd probably say this one's an eight too. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's right in line with the other one, but yeah, it's a good book, and it's it's. I think, of, I mean, they all have really funny parts, especially like tactics for defeating bad guys and stuff like that. But I feel like this one just has some really great, like, uh, both on Rick Riordan's part and on the part of the characters, just some really great plans. You know, like, how do we defeat this guy? Well, let's try this stupid thing. And it, like, ends up working. And it's just hilarious how often that kind of thing works. Like, like we talked about Frank's defeation of the giant guy. But, like, also Hazel defeating the Amazons. She, like, pretends to get captured and then actually isn't. And somehow they end up escaping and it's epic. Um, and, like, just all of these other things, like... It's just really, really fun to read because of that creativity. And like like I said, all of Riordan's books have that same flavor of just like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely hysterical, just how they're defeating these bad guys. I think that comes in part because most of the bad guys are not super smart, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think if, if, mo if any of the bad guys had as much sense as like, any of the demigods, they would win way more often. But maybe they've just gone, maybe they've just been sent to Tartarus one too many times, you know? They've just been defeated, and it, it tends to wear on your brain after so many centuries. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe they lose some brain dust particles along the way, so then when they reform, it's not the same. <laughs> right, like they're not exactly the same person as before. Right. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Great book, though. Great book. It is. It is a really good book. Um, well, thank you, Cambry, for joining me today. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? I think so. I have really enjoyed our conversation, and I'm excited for The Mark of Athena. That's the best one of the series. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so many good parts. Um, well, yeah, so thanks again, and, um, and thank you for reading along with us. You can follow Open Books with Claire on Instagram using the link in the show notes or using our handle at Open Books with Claire. This episode was hosted by myself, Claire Oster, and Cambry. It was edited by Alex Williams. The music we use is by Paper Planes, and Open Books with Claire is produced by Mecco Radio, and we are a proud member of the Create Vine. Bye!